Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today, we are reflecting on some current events in our, our world. A number of days ago, on September 8th, in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco and uh, north, uh, northwestern Africa, there was a devastating earthquake. You, you may have seen this in, in the news. The earthquake was relatively shallow. Uh, it happened about 16 miles down beneath the surface. It, it occurred along an oblique uh, reverse fault, Okay, to use the technical term there. You, you see a bunch of stress builds up along fault lines. And when the stress uh, gets to a point where it just something needs to happen, that, that stress uh, is released, it, it needs to go somewhere. That, all that stress, all that energy needs to, to go somewhere. And so in Morocco, that energy was released. Something snapped, so to speak, and sent seismic waves throughout the mountains, throughout Morocco. The main earthquake because there's always aftershocks and things like that. The main earthquake was 6.8 in magnitude. That's nearly 200,000 tons of TNT going off. Okay, Or another way to, to put it, if, if I'm correct, that's about three Hiroshima-sized atomic bombs going off 16 miles beneath your feet. 200 thousand tons of TNT. That's what 6.8 magnitude means. And so as you perhaps have seen or heard, this earthquake brought devastating loss. About 2,900 people have have died. Over 5,500 people are injured. Altogether, about 300,000 people have been affected by this, with 100,000 of those individuals being children. This earthquake brought tremendous property loss. Uh, We're just talking massive destruction, life change, 10 seconds, 30 seconds of of rumble, and everything changes. Villages reduced to rubble. It's hard to tell where one house starts and another house finishes. It's just all collapsed together. I read one sad story where, like, Parents were just at home with their kids, and then just like that, they saw their kids get crushed by ceilings, falling ceilings. Photographs show uh, people just dumbfounded at the amount of damage. Other pictures show people just trying to recover what they can. In remote areas, like in these uh, mountainous areas in Morocco, help is slower to arrive. The rescue workers who, who, who are there, who, who could get there, you know, they're, they're digging initially for survivors and then it turns into body recovery. Meanwhile, during this whole time, hundreds of miles away, a low-pressure storm was developing in the Mediterranean Sea. You see increased water temperature, uh, and humidity, fuel, a storm. It, it grew into a cyclone, a, a hurricane-like storm. 
because it happened over the, the Mediterranean Sea, informally some people call it a metacane. The storm was named Daniel, and Storm Daniel brought record-breaking amounts of rain in the areas of Greece, Turkey, and Bulgaria. Have you guys seen this in the news? On September 10th, Storm Daniel made landfall in Libya in northern Africa, and it brought heavy rains. So there's a picture of, of the floods in Greece. When the storm went down to Africa, so much rain it overwhelmed two dams. Two dams collapsed, bringing a surge of water. One person said it, it sounded like a bomb went off in the city. So this catastrophic deluge of water just wiped out entire neighborhoods, just washed away. One report estimates 11,300 people have died. Another 10,000 are missing. More than 40,000 people are displaced right now in Africa. I saw images of, of muddy streets filled with de debris, overturned cars, just tangles and tangles of, of just mess. Okay, it's just all bunched together, and it's all muddy, caked with mud. And I was reading by now, um, because of the environment, you know, it's wet, it's muddy, uh, the bodies that they are pulling up, they're unidentifiable. So, of course, there's other disasters we could mention. Last month, Hawaii experienced a firestorm. About 100 people have died in Hawaii. Several are missing. Five and a half billion dollars that fire took out in Hawaii. Who knows, you know, worldwide, you know, these natural disasters, how much, how much money, to, to put it in that sense, it's, it's just enormous. We can't imagine. So, church, what do we do with disasters like this? What do we do with this? What, what could we do? What should we do? How should we feel? How should we think? What can we do? We do live in a, an age of globalization, okay? So we, we, have a, we are part of a global community, okay? And, and the world is getting connected more and more. We have, there's internet and, and McDonald's and you can get a Coca-Cola just about anywhere. Like you can, you can, we are connected. But locally for us, we also, you know, we, we hear these stories from the safety of our, of our homes and southeastern Pennsylvania, Hawaii, Morocco, Libya, that's, that's over there. That's, that's far away news. So stories of crisis, emergency, vulnerability, disaster, destruction, death. What do we do with this? Do we just ignore it? Ah, oh, shucks, right, you know? No, that, that doesn't seem right. Like, we, no, ignoring it doesn't seem right. Maybe sometimes we, we hear these current events, we hear these disasters, and sometimes uh, we are really quick on finding somebody to blame. In fact, uh, people have studied this. History is full of, of account after account of, of people looking for somebody to blame. We, we, we want to find a, a scapegoat. 
So perhaps, maybe you already had this thought, let's blame the government, right? If they would have built earthquake-resilient homes, if they would have kept up with the infrastructure, if they would have just built it better to begin with, etc., etc., if they had better warning systems, and on and on and on. Those questions are fair, but maybe they're not the immediate questions we should be focusing on. Or perhaps you might be thinking, hey, you know what? This is God's judgment on sin. And you just kind of call that out. Or maybe you jump to a straight, particular end times view. And isn't it interesting how on, quote, normal days, we don't demand any explanations for the natural world doing its thing. But of course, after disasters, we... We wrestle with it and we ask the age-old question, okay, God, why would you allow this? What's going on, God? And so from here, I would like to consider some lessons from the book of Job to help us think about this. We're going to think about the complexities of this world. And then we're going to take a look at the, the early church, this church in Antioch. They, they give us some, some pointers And then we're going to consider and start to think about how God's work in the world, it includes us. So let me let me pray before we we continue. Heavenly Father, your word is living and active. God, it's it's creative. God, give us uh, give us a a living and and creative and, and active spirit to 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 see what you want us to see, to feel what you want us to feel, to know what you want us to know. God, give us a a healthy uh, gospel-centric imagination of of our response to things like this. That this isn't just something in a news ticker as we drink our coffee on a a random Thursday morning, but but this is is brokenness that perhaps you're you're really calling us to pay attention to and and you're, you're calling us perhaps to really do something about. So God, as we listen into your word, again, it's living, it's active. We ask that this, this word of yours just moves us in faith today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's zoom out, take a big perspective here. Um, let's take a look at the book of Job. And, and I'm just going to talk briefly about the whole story the whole book of, of Job here. And we're going to consider that this world is complex. In basics here, the Bible teaches us that, that God created this world good, but this world has brokenness in it, and there is evil that wants to undermine it. You guys with me? Okay, that's, that's kind of a, a basic thing here. World is good, there's a brokenness, there's an evil that wants to undermine it, okay? We understand that on a surface level, but do we really understand all of that? So theologian Tom Wright helped me uh, a lot with, with my thoughts and this whole sermon here. You know, when we look at all the systems of the universe, when we look at tectonic plates, uh, when we look at the fluid dynamics of the atmosphere, also called meteorology, when, when we look at all the interrelated parts of the world, again, the systems, the different layers of things, when we look at civic authority, when we look at human culture, uh, how we're organized, infrastructure, all of that, 
I don't think we're supposed to understand all of the complexities of this world. But rather, as we trust God, we let God handle the complexities of the world. Now, that is not a call to be a lazy thinker. It's not just a dismissal of, I'm not going to think deeply about this stuff. I'm not going to do any heavy lifting. I'm just going to trust God. That's not what I'm saying here. Okay, we do want wisdom. We want to grow in our understanding. God made this world good, and in its current state, there's something wrong with it. And our job is not to understand it all. So we want to check our assumption that we know how this cosmos works. Okay, instead, when disaster strikes as people of God, we give what's in our heart over to God. And so we, and we lament and we cry out and we grieve and we pray and we talk to God about these disasters. In the Old Testament, this book of Job, it, it powerfully reminds us that, that we're not God. And one of the main questions in Job is, why is there suffering? And I dare you to look through the book of Job to find that answer. You won't, okay? We are not given a direct answer, why is there suffering? The book of Job teaches us this world is beautiful, but yet it's filled with a lot of unknowns. There is order, but there is also danger. Tectonic plates will do their thing. Earthquakes happen. Volcanoes happen. Weather happens. El Nino happens. Okay, and so on. The the reality check here is that the world in its current state, there will be suffering. So Job, as we look at the contours of it, it helps us out. On one hand, we might try to accuse God of suffering. That's what Job tried to do at one point. On the other hand, we look at Job's friends. If you recall the story, if you know the story, Job has some friends who are trying to help him out. They're trying to bring counsel. But this is what Job's friends do. They try to oversimplify God and they try to explain everything away. But there's a third approach that the book of Job gives us. As we look at that story, it's simply this. We can trust God with our pain. We can take our stuff to God in prayer. We don't know what it's like to run all of creation. We were not there when God set the horizon It's not our job to run all of creation, nor do we have the capacity to. However, we do have this beautiful thing called heart. God gave us this heart that comes with this ability to trust. To trust. So when disaster strikes, when it surpasses our understanding, we can be hearty people who who flex our trust and prayer muscles. With a heart of trust and prayer, we seek out wisdom. We seek out understanding and counsel from the Holy Spirit. All the while knowing that we can't know it all. There's a mystery. And so there's a tension. God, help us to know. Help us to discern. Help us to get our minds around it. But also at the same time, God, I'm trusting you. And I know that there are just things that I'll never know. And I'll never figure out. But I trust in you. And all that happens in a prayer life. And so you're like, okay, pastor, 
trust God and pray. Those are Sunday school answers. <laughs> but they're legit. Trust God and pray. But is there anything else, like more hands-on perhaps? So I'm glad you asked. And this is where we want to go to Acts chapter 11. It's an example from the church in Antioch. So the Jesus movement has spread out from Judea. The early Christians were largely Jewish, right? But very quickly, Christianity spreads and becomes this diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural group of people. And this pluralism, Jesus becomes the center. We have all these different people, but they're coming around Jesus. And it's beautiful and it's, it's amazing. And so Antioch is a multicultural church, multi-ethnic church. They are centered around Jesus Christ. We have a group of Christians from Jerusalem. They travel up. They go up to what we would call Syria today. And they go to Antioch. And one of these Christians, his name was Agabus. Side note, Agabus in Aramaic is grasshopper. So perhaps this is like a little nickname. Uh, grasshopper stood up in the church gathering. Agabus is a, a man with prophetic gifting. He stands up in one gathering. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit, he predicts that there is going to be a great disaster, a famine. A severe famine is going to come and spread over the entire Roman Empire. And the author of Acts, his name is Luke, he lets us know it happened, okay, in the, in the reign of, of Emperor Claudius. Excuse me. We also know from other historical resources that there were other severe famines in, in that part of uh, the ancient Roman world. Famines are not good. We've talked about them before. They can just destroy so many layers of, of our world. Economics and uh, industry and agriculture, all that stuff. Famines can really hurt the empire. So, let's take a look. What does the church of Antioch do? Well, for starts, <laughs> they, did they throw this prophet out? Prophet, prophets usually, uh, you know, they, they can be edgy. We don't like what they have to say. We, we have to wrestle with what they're saying. Did they throw this prophet out? Did they consider that this was a sign of the end times? Oh, great, Messiah's coming back. You know, let's, let's get ready. He's coming back soon. Did they discuss economics? Did they blame it on the farmers, merchants, food distributors? Did they, did they try to get political or, you know, blame it on civic authorities? Hey, let's blame the emperor. All right? Let's blame Congress. Let's blame who's in the White House. Did they chalk it up as some sort of sin issue or some sort of judgment from, from God? Did they even say, all right, brothers and sisters, we're going to use this plight as an opportunity to share the faith. We're going to let people know how sinful they are and how much they should repent. Nothing like a good old disaster as a good time for a church invite. Now, I'm, okay, I'm being a little facetious here, right? They, they did none of those things. This is what they did. They asked three questions. What can we do? Who can we help? Who's at most risk? Who's 
special, who's at special need, who's vulnerable. And three, who do we send? Who, who's going to execute this mission, this task? It's not about trying to figure out why the famine, the disaster is happening. But it's about what God is going to do through his church. Remember, God made this world good. And the original intention was for God to work through humanity, in and through and with humanity. The church in Antioch, this diverse group of people, but they're, they're, they're new creations in Christ, okay? They believe that God's work in this world includes them. And they are trusting the Holy Spirit. They are discerning what they can do. They are discerning who they can help. And so as they think and pray about this, as they discuss it, they're like, you know what? The church down in Judea, they're poor. And potentially even experiencing persecution at this time. They are at risk. Let's help them out. How? Well, let's let's send support. Let's pool some resources together and send them a gift. Who should go and deliver this gift? Well, they decide on these two guys named Barnabas and this brilliant theologian slash tent maker named Saul. This is early in Saul's ministry life. This diverse Antioch church, they, they send this gift to a relatively monocultural group of Christians. But you know what? We're all new creations in Christ. We are better together and we all share the burden. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one body. And so sometimes when we ask, okay, why doesn't God just show up? Why doesn't God just waltz in and fix the situation? Well, God does show up. He shows up through his people. The sadness, the trauma, the stress are real. Bad things are still bad things. But by the grace of God, our love is worked into something good. To paraphrase Romans 8.28, God works in and through those who love him. In Morocco, Morocco is a far cry from being you know, a hotbed of flourishing Christianity. But there are Christians there. There's a small amount of, of Christians. And I believe according to their, uh, their, their uh, document, I want to say articles of faith, but constitution. <laughs> according to Morocco's constitution, they do have freedom of worship there. Of course, it's largely uh, Islamic and and. And all of that. Um, but there's a, there's a small group of Christians in Morocco. And there's reports of local Christians. They're showing up. Perhaps suffering themselves. They're, they're trying to do what they can. They distribute clothes and food and water, medicine, taking care of the injured. This is what God's rule looks like when it's launched on earth as in heaven. It happens through the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers. This is what it looks like when God's rule is launched on earth as in heaven. And so for us, how shall we live as participants 
in God's kingdom, we don't need to have a hot take on it right now. We don't have to try to explain everything or figure everything out. We can give what's in our heart over to God because we trust him, because we love him. And we join in with God's heart and we, we pray. We join in and we, we also enter into the pain and sorrow. And again, we, we trust God and we hope that he brings restoration. And this is where it gets hard to explain, both inside and outside of the church, because we believe that God can take care of this in less than an instant. But even if he doesn't, we still hope in him. We hope in him alone. That is a hard thing to explain, right? This hope that we have. But we trust in God that he is going to bring love. He's going to bring compassion. He's going to meet needs. He's, he is showing up. And so we join in and we ask, because of who we are, we participate in God's mission. Who can we help? Who's at most risk? How can we do it? Who can we send? Galatians 6, 9 encourages us to do good and to be ready. Don't give up. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says it encourages us to stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And our work in the Lord is not in vain, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So this is it. Somehow, somehow, the prayers we pray, the donations we give, the food we share, the good that we do, is not in vain. We trust, hey, you know what? It is not empty. God is there and we trust him. And so church, let us not get crusty and cozy. Let us be afresh and be ready to meet needs. With a heart full of, of trust, let's participate in God's kingdom. I was thinking about this. Let's encourage our kids to dream big dreams for a better world. We need architects and engineers to build resilient infrastructure. We need geologists to, to go and dig wells to get fresh water. We, we need to keep finding ways to keep taking care of the vulnerable. But we don't need to wait until the next disaster to strike. The needs abound around us. The, the need for shelter and food, clean water and air, clothing, sanitation, ministries to young parents and, and moms, diapers, formula, all of that. Access to health care, less expensive pharmaceuticals, the, the need for counseling and reco recovery groups. People are drowning in loneliness, debt. People are hungry for grace and love. And we could just go on and on and on. And so I just intentionally wanted to leave this sermon kind of open-ended in the sense that, like, I want you to finish the sermon. There's no campaign. There's no love offering. 
There's no sign-up sheet to volunteer. I just want you to sit with it, with what you heard today. Let the Messiah's love compel you. Your your belief that, that God is good and that God is in control. Trusting in that, let, let that compel you. When you see images, when you when you see pain, let the compassion of Christ you know stir up in your heart. And so, church, I just want to end with two questions. What is God saying to you right now? What is God saying to us? How do you want to respond? How does he want you to respond? How, how does God, or, or what does God want us to do about this? And so again, no, no just big intentional call to action other than to sit with this. What is God saying to you? What are we going to do about it? Let's pray.